Hello, podcast fans. We're here with your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. I'm her son, Andrew Bray. Hello, Mom. Oh, hi, Andrew. That was... <laughs> I just love these times when we can talk together like this. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. It's been fun. You know, um, I don't know if our audience knows that you and I got to be together face-to-face in Kentucky. Yeah, for for a convention, I got to watch. I got to watch all of my mother's fans just swarm around her. And fortunately, it was all masked. But it's cool; you could still see everybody's smiles beaming around her. She's just uh, for those of you who don't get to see her in person or in video. She's just a bubble of energy, and everybody just gets super excited around her. So, I was I was in heaven. Aww. well, we did a we did a presentation called how to create your own podcast. And Andrew actually did most of it. And it, everyone was coming back to me. Oh my gosh, your son is so amazing. So yeah, we have this mutual. <laughs> it was really cool. We think the other person's pretty okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you excited about today, mom? Oh, I had this amazing conversation with Sean Arnold. And You know, I've known Sean for a long time, but it was so delightful. It was like I, he was telling me stories and of his growing up and some of the things that he went through, and I just said, "Oh my gosh, you sound, you sound like people I know." (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm so excited to share his story. It's just, he's in New York, but he's had multiple jobs. He's some of the things he's doing now is just making a difference. It's just wonderful. One of the things that we were just talking a little bit about earlier was what it's like to find people outside of our immediate uh, our immediate vicinity that still feel like family to us. And it sounds like this is this is another person you're adding to your extended family. Oh yeah, I mean, Andrew. He reminds me a little bit of you. <laughs> so that was he said he you know he said he was a musician and he does all these things. I went, oh, <laughs> I know someone like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, stay tuned for a conversation with Barbara Bray and Sean Arnold. Well, I always say this. I really mean it this time. I can't. I'm so excited to have Sean Arnold here with me. Sean, I'm so glad you're here. This is so much fun. Super excited. It's always really fun to talk to you. I know. We actually had a talk before and said, oh, we just have to do a podcast together. This is always entertaining. (sighs) So many weird things come up whenever we have a conversation. I love it. I know. And this will be fun. I told you, it's going to be like we're on our porch. You got your water. I got my coffee. We're ready to go. So I wanted to share a little bit about you. I'm going to show you off a little bit to my audience. (laughs) Works for me. Sean Arnold has had a number of roles in his life, from construction worker to actor to musician to salesman to a bartender to TV news crew. Wait a minute. And a number of things in between? All of those? Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've worn a lot of hats at different points in my life. Honestly, it was it was all in an effort to search whatever it was that really fulfilled me. You know, Yeah, some of them were in an effort to make money because you got bills to pay. But I also just wanted something that made me happy and fulfilled me. And I didn't really find that until I got into my current career, I guess. Oh, well, your current career is special educators and STEM coach. And you taught 
in New York City's District 75 citywide special needs program since 2005. And probably there's lots more, but we're going to talk about it. So welcome, Sean. Thank this you is for just having wonderful. me. Welcome to the porch. Yeah, I'm enjoying it here. <laughs> virtual porch, anyway. It's a virtual porch, but it feels like you're just right here. You started telling me so many things. I, 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 let's just start first where you grew up and your family growing up. So I grew up in Illinois, uh, Chicago. Uh, I was born in Naperville, north side, but lived on the south side of Chicago for most of my early years. And then uh, my family moved around a lot, though, uh, money reasons and struggles financially and stuff. And eventually they were able to move us out to the suburbs a little bit when I was in middle school. But eventually, uh, for other financial reasons, we ended up moving back to where my father grew up, which was in like very rural Illinois. So Illinois has like a gut on the west side of it. And so in the middle of that gut where the belly button would be is Barry, Illinois. Um, and that's where we oh, moved to. <laughs> Barry has like the butt. Yeah. The uh, gut. I maybe like a gut. The gut. Like the belly button on the gut. <laughs> I mean, I guess it look, could look belly. like a butt, too, but, but it's like the belly button on the gut is like Barry, Illinois, and it's got like maybe 12,000 people in it and an Apple Festival and not a whole lot more. So it was a bit of a culture shock when I, when I moved there from the city. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. So what was it like for you there? <sighs> well, um, when we finally, I had been there before with my parents, like it was sort of a place that we would go in the summer and I would stay at my grandma's and we would ride horses and bale hay and slaughter pigs, literally. Um, and then I'd go back really? to the city and like live my city life. Right. And like, it would be my summer vacation story. Uh, but now it was my full life going into high school. It, it felt very, uh, small pondish, I guess, to me. And like the, the people were different, but I started to get along. There were artsy folks there. And, but, but in some ways I, I was, I was very different. Uh, one time when I, I, I got, uh, strangely cast out was when I decided, you know what, I'm just going to start wearing uh, skirts to school because I want to and it's comfortable and it's, you know, it's a statement for friends of mine and everybody who was struggling with challenges in their life at the time. And uh, it, it didn't necessarily go over well with certain uh, other students and staff members, but, you know, we were bold and doing things that we felt like we needed to do. And wow. I, uh, you know, I think it's great. Yeah. For the artistic the, career, part of it worked. See, I told you, you're a lot like my son. It was, <laughs> but the only thing that now, how did that? How old were you when you did that? I was in high school. Yeah. Oh. So I was like a <laughs> No, I mean, as a kid, I would I would only wear wear things occasionally, like you know, borrow my mom's nail polish and paint my nails or something. But then that time, most of the time, then it was it was just cover up because I would have like black eyes and stuff from my brothers or or. Uh, oh my god! You know, how many brothers? Two brothers. I am the middle child, uh, whatever syndrome goes along with that, uh, of, of two other brothers, one older, one younger, my older brother, Brian, my younger brother, Justin. And uh, yeah, we, we were rough and tumble growing up, especially my older brother. And so, you know, things flow downhill in that regard. <laughs> well, it's, it's hard to be different. I mean, you know, I mean, kids can be really tough. Were you bullied? Yeah, but here, here's the thing about that. I was, mm -hmm. I think I think I was a pretty tough and resilient kid uh, to the degree that even my older brother, Brian, I remember uh, when we were young, he was in fifth grade, I was in second grade, and he was getting bullied at, at the bus stop 
by uh, a mm. bunch of fifth and sixth graders and they're pushing him around and shoving him. Me, little kid comes over with my book bag and I just start swinging it around and hitting them and knocking them away, you know, cause I was used to scrapping and they didn't mess with my brother anymore. You know, I, Oh, so you were the bully. No, you weren't the bully. You were just I, tough. I was you were tough. Just trying to protect my brother yeah. in that instance. I mean, I, I've been I in a few it. fights when I was a kid, but at a certain point I was like, that's all over. Wow. So what So what was it like for you in school as a student? As a student, I was pretty good. You know, I, early on I got put in a gifted program just because the stuff that normal school is, I was good at. Tests and like memorizing things and remembering details. It just, those things just sort of stuck with me. Uh, but most of the time I was really bored in school. So I would get in trouble behaviorally a fair amount of the time uh, for talking too much in class, for for joking and goofing around. And I, and I was very antsy and I couldn't stay in my seat and moving about. So, you know, teachers who didn't like that or understand that, uh, a lot of reprimands for that. A lot of notes home where I learned to sign my mom's signature very, very well. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should. I was that like thing. that. Well, she, I, I don't, don't know. know. We'll see. It's a little later. Yeah, yeah. It's okay now. Yeah, it's okay now. Because I did the same thing. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, that when we started talking, it's like we, I'm older than you. And so they didn't really diagnose us for things. They would just punish us if we acted a certain way. Were you ever diagnosed it? So when I, very young, both of my brothers and myself were all diagnosed with ADHD, uh, which was a fairly oh, wow. novel diagnosis at the time. Now it, they, it seems to be everybody has ADHD, but at the time it, it was a fairly new and novel idea. Since then, as an adult, um, I've been reclassified in a sense, uh, still neurodivergent, but but placed more on the autism spectrum, uh, which is rare for an adult to receive that diagnosis. That's all, almost never happens. So it, it's relatively profound in my case, enough so for them to re-diagnose me in that regard. Uh, but it's because even in the nature of that, I was my, quote, ADHD, as it was diagnosed at the time, manifested very differently than my brother's. Yes, they were antsy. Mm. Yes, we all were hyper and had high energy. Mine were very different social structures and ways of dealing with other human beings and uh, communicating with other people too. So, yeah. I just think you're a great communicator. It's amazing. But it's it's now they're finding that people on the spectrum, the gifts they have that because of the way our brains work, you know, I think that we can uh, approach things in a different way. Cause I, I, I know I'm somewhere <laughs> on that spectrum. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know if for me, like, yes, there are lots of people who tell me I, I think and come up with things differently, but I don't know if that's a mm-hmm. need to, um, again, being on the spectrum or if it's just me, like in my heart, mind, I am who yeah. I am. And I, I don't know if I attribute it to this or to that or past life experiences and challenges I've had, you know, and, in all, I think it's just wound up in the ball that is me. Well, what I love is that you're open to talk about it because kids are, you know, there, there's so many kids now that are being diagnosed and, um, and then put on medication and it's just, so for me, I think it's really important for adults to be a role model and share how they've been able to cope and also thrive with whatever it is they have. 
I mean, we just, that's, uh, so I really, you know, appreciate that you've done that I mean, and, and you share it. As somebody who works with students with autism, uh, I think it's worth noting that, yes, every person with autism is an individual with autism. And so, if, like the saying goes, if you know one person with autism, you know one person with autism, right? Uh, yeah. And and so I don't know what my situation is, how it necessarily reflects on anybody else. But I know, for example, when I was young, there was talk of medication, and I had it for a little bit. Uh, but I felt like it dulled me, and it dulled all the quirkiness and fun and enjoyment that I got out yeah. of life and the, the interesting ways I had of seeing things. So, like, very quickly, I was like, I don't need this. I'll find a way. And so, you know, I know there's lots of talk about like, oh, people with ADHD or autism can't focus. But for me, that's not at all ever what it was. It's not what it is for most of my students or for me. It's I'm amazing at focusing. In fact, I can hyper focus just as not sometimes on the things that people want me to focus on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's me. I mean, sometimes my family is like surprised, like you're doing so much, but look at all the work you're doing. It's like, I am a perfectionist. That's mm. one of my problems. Yeah. Is. So I'm trying to let go and, <laughs> and try, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make everything perfect. And then when I'm not, I, I stay up later and you, you probably can relate. Very, to that, right? very, very much. So uh, yeah. I mean, my whole yeah. life I've been a real perfectionist. And so, yeah, that manifested in school when I was a kid with, you know, like mm-hmm. perfect scores on all the tests and perfect grades on the assignments and always had to be the first one finished with everything. And, uh, you know, it became in some ways unhealthy to the degree that it was uh, hyper competitive, uh, but also, yeah. you know, to the degree that when I wanted something accomplished that seemed not possible, I would just dig in, dig in deeply till, you know, I, I got it done and made it happen. Well, I, you've made a lot happen. I, when we start talking about all the things that I, it's just, it's a great model that you can do this. I mean, we all, we're constantly reevaluating our lives and saying at this time of my life, am I still going to do this or do I want to try something else? And you've kind of, just saying all those jobs you had in the beginning is amazing, you know? I mean, there, there are aspects of each one of them that I feel like have informed me now that I've enjoyed, you know, the when I worked in TV news, like I've become really good at editing films and putting things together and telling stories. And, you know, my life is telling stories in ways when I, uh, I, I'm able to build things around my house and, and make stuff and construct and like maker spaces or whatever, because I worked in construction and, you know, I'm able to mix a good yeah. dream for friends when they come over because I was a project. You know? <laughs> so, you know, they all play different roles That's in my world. amazing. So, I mean, that's kind of how all of us should be because we we go on different journeys, right? And if we can take whatever those journeys are and learn from them, it's great. The thing about having all these different experiences, I think that every every person should get themselves out of their comfort zone and try different jobs and try different things because like you said, you learned how to do construction and that'll help you in your own home. I think sometimes that's easy for me only because I'm always out of my comfort zone in a way. Like I'm always uncomfortable in (laughs) quote unquote normal life situations just because the sort of interaction with people, it's not like the kind of uncomfortable where I want to go hide in a corner, though that may have once been the case. But I think part of the reason that maybe I could speak in front of a group or I can go and like 
perform or put on a show or, or whatever it was that I've done is because I'm just as uncomfortable in like a one-on-one, in fact, even more so maybe because you have to be more vulnerable. And so uh, the, I've had to learn to adapt to that level of discomfort. And so, you know, it's no more uncomfortable attempting all those other feats, I suppose. Well, I guess if you, if probably when you were young, you didn't know what was going on. I mean, I, for me, because I was put in some weird jobs. <laughs> One of my jobs was counting money in a vault. Well, by it was closed. They closed it up so I could count the money for this department store, thinking, oh, this is a great job. I can do this. It didn't take very long that I started sneezing and sneezing and sneezing, but I hated it. I was like in a vault. It was just awful. <laughs> I, I, it was terrible for me. <laughs> there, I think there are moments I could have enjoyed, like the privacy of it and the solitude. But then, you know, just the nature of, yeah. at a certain point, that rundown monotony would have just, I, I need to fidget and go somewhere else and have something else to distract my attention, right? Yeah, that was me. I mean, I've, t- I've had loads and loads of different jobs, but it's like, each one is a gift because they teach you something. They teach you that, one, you never want to do that again, or two, <laughs> you want to now explore something kind of like it, but go deeper. Uh, it, just a lot of different things. So um, is that kind of why you went into teaching? Was it because of special ed or how did you get there? Well, no, I, I would say teaching was the moment when I stopped all the playing with things and exploring things. And the reason for that is... I think because a lot of my life I was avoiding teaching. So both of my parents have been educators. Um, I had struggles, like I had said, in school early on where teachers in school, even though I was good at it, was not something I necessarily enjoyed. And I was always bored and fidgeting. And so to that point, I was I was avoiding teaching because I knew all the pitfalls of teaching. I knew I wasn't going to get paid. I knew that like all the issues I had to take home and how boring and mind-numbing <laughs> it could be if I was teaching the way teachers had taught me so often. I knew uh, necessarily that it, all the structures of like administration and things that drove my parents furious that I didn't want to have to deal with it all. But then I found myself my entire life, the one place I felt like I was comfortable always communicating or comfortable in spaces, even when I was older, was with young people. And, and maybe I don't know what the part of my psyche that is, if it's related uh, to being on the spectrum, if it's related just simply to me being immature. I don't know. But everywhere I've gone, I'd go to friends' houses. I'd hang out at their parties or whatever. And I didn't want that small talk with people. It, it didn't invigorate my brain in any way. It wasn't stimulating. And, and so I'd end up spending half the time with people's kids, like just playing with like superheroes and talking about candy and M&Ms and all the oh. cool things they're going Because they're so honest. Like they're so genuine and, and they yes. just say what they're thinking, which is me. Uh, like I've learned to try to control it a little and not blurt everything out. But I could be natural there. They didn't judge me for like social awkwardness for not, you know, saying hello in all the ways that you're supposed yeah. to. So I was always comfortable with kids and I loved learning with kids and playing with kids. And so going to be an educator felt like an extenuation of that. So again, I avoided it for long because I knew the pitfalls, but eventually every job I was doing. So when I worked in 
TV newscasts. I wanted to do child interest stories. I worked in finance and I wanted to uh, coach the youth baseball team that, that the company had. Uh, I, I was working in theater and designing sets and things and I wanted to do children's theater. And, and so eventually I broke down and said, you know, maybe I should, you know, dip my foot in the waters of teaching and see if that's really what I should be doing. That's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm following your journey. Deep down, there is something about kids. You know, when you look at the research is, you know, they were born curious and something happens along the way in school or their parents or wherever it is where they're told, no, you got to do it this way or be compliant. And so they built in that learned helplessness, you know, when they're older, which drives me nuts. You know, it's like that feeling like that. They have to get that information from a teacher. They can't be themselves where the young the young ones or some, like you said, people on the spectrum, they still have that honesty, that curiosity. Is there something there, right? Yeah. I, I, th- I don't know if it's your brain becomes hardwired at a certain point and fused and not as pliable, right? And so that creativity that exists so much in young people and so much less in most adults uh, is is something that I always want to be a part of because I feel like my mind still craves that creativity and that exploration constantly. Um, again, maybe I'm immature. <laughs> you know, that's what some people might say. Or maybe I just want to dive into no. those creative moments and, and, and be around people who are honest and genuine and not have to like hide emotions and hide uh, what I'm thinking and, you know, we can talk through it and communicate it in whatever awkward, bumbling way I have to. So how does your family handle you? <laughs> I know, your... Some days are better than others, I guess, but I have I have two <laughs> young boys, uh, one now going into sixth grade, one going into high school. Wow. So Kyle is the youngest, Aiden is the older one. They are bright and rambunctious and, you know, dedicated to the things that they enjoy. So they they can get really focused on tasks that are heavily oftentimes related to gaming and stuff, which I'm into too. My wife is very different in that regard. My wife is the social animal. She's Brazilian. Um, she goes out with her friends and she's energized by the interactions that they have, even though she's got a lot to say and she wants to criticize, well, this person did this and that person did that. Like, I'm happy to listen, <laughs> but... Uh, she she is that social animal drawing from those experiences. Me, I can do those things, and I'm capable, but I definitely need to retreat every now and again to re-energize. I guess that's sort of the nature of being an introvert. I love your family, the idea of, you know, having two boys and you having two brothers, and it must be... It just must be fun for you. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. I I, I love being a father. I'm. It, it, it's strange because you know I don't know. You, there's all the stereotypes of what a father should be and what blah blah blah. But. I love playing with my kids. I am deeply, deeply involved in my kids' education. Like right before this session uh, with you, I'm making my kids lunch and feeding them, and then we're going to go out and play later. Like uh, I just 
you know, while spending time with my kids. And, and it's the most wonderful thing in the world is to have children, but also to work with children like you do. And but now you're doing you're doing some. Well, first tell us, tell me a little bit about your journey as a teacher. You know, like what did you did you start as a special ed teacher? Or did you? So New York City has this thing called the Teaching Fellows Program, uh, which is basically meant to bring outsiders into the world of education. Uh, and 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 the initial experience of it was that I came in. It's sort of like a group interview or an audition kind of a thing where you act at being a teacher in front of this group of adults. And so I I actually had a really cool idea. I had first got my feet wet teaching by working as part of like an AmeriCorps program uh, with after-school stuff with students. And I was teaching music and things because I, I play a lot of instruments. And so it seemed like a natural fit. So I come in and I have a recorders, a set of them, all nice and new and shiny that I'm giving all these wannabe teachers and, and the people watching us. And within like a couple of minutes, I've taught everybody through like color coding and these systems that I've used with the kids how to play a recorder very quickly. And we're playing some songs and we're having fun and we're jamming. I'm like, I'm an amazing educator. This is great. I'm going to be amazing forever. And, you know, it goes and I think it goes really well. Ultimately, they tell me I am not selected. We don't need what you're doing. We don't need any of that. Have a nice life. Wow. You didn't want to work there. Well, no, this was for the entire New York City situation for teaching fellows. But, oh my god! So, so like my, I, I thought my chance was done and shot out the window, and I'm like, oh, I was, I was, I was deeply upset. I was, I was morose for a while, uh, but I was reminded uh, by my wife. It's like you know, you can try again, right? They have sessions in the future. So, you know, I think about half a year goes by and there's another cohort that they're inviting people into. And this time, like I cut what was my long hair short at the time, put on a nice suit, go and teach like a really, really boring by the books quadratic equation lesson. Uh, and <laughs> I, not the quadratic equations has to be boring. Like there are good ways to do it and there are fun ways to engage students in math. And I love doing that math because I'm a math and STEM guy. But this was not interesting in any conceivable way uh, because basically about four other people taught the exact same boring lesson and they're like thank you rubber stamp you're good to go welcome in and so so at first Stand- I was like yeah standardized yeah you're, you're boring <laughs> enough to be a teacher now and so I was like okay well I guess I can do it but I gotta be really boring but there was an opportunity up front of, of areas you could express your interest in and one was citywide special education which was district 75 and I was like well given my past experiences and my work with my younger brother who was in special education for a very long time in fact he he didn't speak uh, for many early years of his life for, for a multitude of reasons um, and participated oh, wow. in the special Olympics and, and, and stuff, but oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Just throw some f- little just little tidbits along the way, but yeah. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely interested in that. My mom had begun working as a psychologist, and she with special needs. I'm like, okay, I, I'm I'm in, I'm in, I'm totally in. Yeah. And that was cool because that made it so I couldn't be that boring teacher because that doesn't work with those kids at all. I mean, I, I'd say it doesn't work with any kids at all, but it definitely, you're not going to get through a day with those kids. With that. So I started working in District 75, which is citywide special education for students with uh, moderate to higher needs disabilities. Uh, about two-thirds of the wow. students have autism now. Uh, that wasn't the percentage, I guess, when we started. A lot more of the students at that time when I started had emotional behavioral disturbances and stuff. But now it's about two-thirds of the students have autism uh, that are in the district. And uh, yeah, that's where I've been since. Oh my gosh. Well, it sounds perfect. I mean, everything, the journey, 
Isn't that sad that you got the job by being boring? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, a lot of good things that have come into my life had had like speed bumps in the initial moments. Like yeah. my, my wedding proposal didn't necessarily go over too well at first either. So. <laughs> you got to tell. Okay, say all it. Right, what all right. did you do? Um, yeah. So <laughs> my wife and I have been dating for a bit, and uh, we actually had decided to separate for a little bit just so we can make sure that we're focused and, you know, we have our minds right, blah, 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 blah. But we had gone on, side note, our first date was uh, we, we went ice skating. She had never been ice skating before. It was in the middle of winter in New York City, uh, and we had, like, a picnic in the snow. Right, which was kind of cool with like, Aww. yeah, it was cute. Little yeah. rose stuck in the snow. Some strange photographer came over and took pictures of us. I don't know where those pictures ever went, but, but anyway, at this point, I've decided yes, she is the person I really, really want to marry. Um, and I've, I've, I've gotten the ring and I've gotten everything set up. And this happens to be at the in the middle of the um, New York Mets and New York Yankees subway series that's going on, and so. <laughs> Like, you know, the city's boisterous and noisy, but everybody else in the city is in their apartments, like, watching the games, right? So I take her back to her apartment where she's there with her roommate, and I give her a uh, mixtape. I think it might have actually been a CD. It was a mixed CD, but mixtape phenomenon. And and told her, I just need you to listen to this right when you get home. It, it expresses, like, everything that I'm feeling and, and, and all these things that you need to know going forward. And so she goes inside with that. I'm outside in her little alcove hallway setting up, like, rose petals over to, like, all these candles and all these cool things Aww. set up where I'm going to be, like, kneeling, waiting for her. Because on this uh, mix CD, you know, there's, like, songs that were meaningful to us and things like that. And then uh, it has me doing vocals at a certain point. And at some point it's like... Hey, here's all a whole spiel of here's how I feel about you and a long story of like why I love you and um, and maybe you know these things and maybe they've been evident to you, but what you don't know is that this whole time I've been waiting out in the hallway waiting to ask you to marry me. And if your answer is yes, open the door and I will be here waiting. If the answer is no, well, I don't want to embarrass you. Feel free to just stay inside and enjoy your evening, right? So as I'm preparing all this stuff outside, people yelling from their apartments, go Yankees, or whatever it was, and time is passing, and the candles are melting down, melting down, (laughs) and at a certain point, like, I waited way longer than was reasonable, Um, and I I was just not leaving yet, because I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess it's a no. All right, let's clean. And so I'm starting to, like, clean everything up and blow out the candles and get everything together and, like, just about to get on my way. And, like, the door opens. No way, are you what? They're still here? Because apparently she had been waylaid by her roommate who wanted to talk about a whole bunch of things and detail. She was reliable. And she was like, no, I got to go listen to this. Like, so she was delayed. I, I swear I probably – it felt like I was waiting there for hours. It couldn't have been. I don't think the game was that long, and it hadn't ended yet. So uh, – but it was a while. and So it didn't exactly go according to plan. But, you know, in the end she did – Say yes. She said and yes. She said yes. Married. So I guess I guess it works out. Oh, that's it's like a movie. Mm. You, everything it's you just said movie. is like a- it's, maybe if it's a, <laughs> if it's a movie. Like I'm not a very very uh, entertaining lead because I mess up everything. <laughs> that was really cool, though. I love it. You know, because of your 
curiosity and your excitement about life. You're like me. You got into ed tech. I just loved it when I, you know, I just wanted to learn everything. Except you did. <laughs> you, I started looking at all the certificates and everything. I don't know anyone who has that many. <laughs> I, I think I'm the only person I know that's got like the Apple Distinguished Educator, Google Innovator, and Microsoft Innovative Educator Expert. Yeah. <laughs> like I know a couple of like dual crossovers, but I think I might be the only one with all three of those. But I, for me, it was always just trying to learn new things because my students have a broad and wide range of needs. But it all started yeah. simply with uh, somebody came into my room. I'd never used a Mac computer before. This is whatever, 15 years ago-ish, 16 years ago when I started teaching. And there was those old white Emacs, right? And it was the yeah. garage band generation one on this Emac. And somebody's like, oh, hey, I see you play the guitar and you make some music here with your students. There's this thing called garage band. You might want to try it out. I haven't really used it, but I know it does stuff with music. Give it a shot. And I was like, all right. So I started to play around and, and, you know, I was like, oh, I can make a song and record it pretty easily. Oh, I can throw in drum tracks and I don't have to do it myself. Okay, cool, cool. This is nice. And then I started to do it with students and students who, because of physical disabilities and cognitive disabilities, struggled to make music, were now making it on their own. And I saw how technology could help them create in ways that they couldn't before. And so I was like, oh, this is amazing. So then it went from movies to like music, to making movies, to, to making digital art, to photography, to, you know, just all sorts of fun stuff where I found that the technology empowered my students in ways that they couldn't otherwise. Like, like when the first iPads came out, the first generation, a few years into my teaching, because I've been doing it that long, um, we could play them as instruments. My students who again, might struggle to play that recorder or whatever else it was, could now play an instrument, make music independently, not even with me like hand over hand and working Mm. with them, but like, look at you all by yourself, not even touching it. Like, you're awesome. Yeah, I love that. Oh, that is so cool. So did you have every student had their own iPad? I mean, sometimes the school districts don't get it that you need these kind of resources. Because I was doing a lot of stuff, I was able to, I was also really good at writing grants. So that's the that other uh, part of that. So at first I got yeah. a bunch of money for my classroom and got the hookup in there. But eventually I was like, you know what? Like other teachers in the school get this too. So then I just started to write grants for everything for the school. Once I was like, is this cool principal? And she was like, yeah, sounds <laughs> great. Sounds great. Go for it. And so then I just started to get equipment for everybody and everywhere. And I'm like, these things are available. The funding's there if you write and you work to get it and apparently I'm pretty good at writing some grants and you know that's how I got cool that stuff is, for my class that is well kind of did that too <laughs> <laughs> when when you see what it does to the kids and especially those that are limited physically limited and um but but they have that it's in their head they just need to have those opportunities this is just it's wonderful that you did that there's just digital accessibility pieces that are huge for students uh, who have various challenges, students yeah. who just needed to listen to music while we worked because it helped their stimming behaviors with autism. You know, I've been reading a lot of your blogs, and which are, you're really a good writer, by the way, mm-hmm. too. So just throw that in there. So I want people to, we're going to put the link to your blog, and we're going to put a link to some of the other resources and things that you have. But you, you talked about um, accessibility and inclusive, you know, this idea of not leaving anyone out. Just share a little bit about why why you're focusing on that now. I mean, part of this, I, I know this is your jam too, but you know, as we talk about like universal design for learning, but it's the kind of stuff where 
Yes, maybe speech-to-text is good for a student who can't physically type on a keyboard. But it's also for good for a student who's a struggling reader or who is a student who might simply not feel confident writing out a story more than like two or three sentences long by hand, but they'll tell you a story all day long with their mouth or, or all other sorts of technology that, that makes it meaningful for students to share their stories. And there, there's this idea sometimes, I know, amongst a subset of educators, and gladly I think that subset is shrinking, but that the technology is sort of cheating. Uh, I had a principal from a school in Long Island who was a, who was a teacher in a class I was taking uh, in graduate school who, who was going on about how her uh, granddaughter uh, got a math assignment for school, and she, the, the granddaughter was asking Alexa to help her with like all the equations in math. And like, oh, what's nine times five? And the grandmother's getting really upset. You can't ask Alexa that. That cheating. That's terrible. That's wrong. Um, and and so she's like, I put a stop to that right away. And and I'm sitting there like, oh, I'm going off. And I'm writing this paper. I'm supposed to have to her and like detailing all the reasons why I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. And and those reasons were essentially, isn't it better that your granddaughter is in an amazing place that she knows where to go to get the answers to her questions? She knows the resources that can guide her to solving the problems that she has. And beyond that, isn't the bigger problem the fact that the teacher is asking such simplistic questions that can simply be answered by Alexa? Because if I was asking higher level questions, you know, and it wasn't just simple drill and kill math worksheets, which is definitely not the way to teach math, but that's a whole side story. Um, (laughs) Wouldn't that be better for your daughter, better for instruction for all the kids in general? And it would, you know, prevent Alexa from helping because Alexa is there to do what Alexa does. It's like great mathematicians aren't sitting there trying to do it all in their head. They use calculators, too. Right. No, they're trying to solve more Mm -hmm. complex problems. Let the computer solve the problems that computers can solve while I can focus on the more creative and complex ideas. And so ultimately, actually, that that principle and that professor she's like you know what sean you're the first one to change my mind on this and i feel like uh, and she said it in front of the class too so i felt like really vindicated ah that's good because i mean the, i used to say if you can google it let them google it yeah. <laughs> but like or, or alexa ask us or siri or whatever the whole thing is is that our brains we need to really dig deeper and get people curious about okay so why is it two plus two in fact, I was uh, doing a professional development in Washington State, and one of the uh, consultants came up with something really cool. She told everyone, the answer is, and they came up with 223, here are the standards, come up with some different ways you would apply those standards toward that, and came up so that everyone had to come up with the it. problem. And I thought, you know, we got to be more creative. We got to think about these things. It gets the sparks of curiosity. So we want to learn. I don't, you know, let her, that was really good what you did. <sighs> I, I, that was fun in that class. But I'll say that, yeah, definitely, especially with my students where a lot of times because they had disabilities and they had challenges, people wanted to stick with the most base level things. And I'm like, these kids can do more. They can do more complex stuff. They just, Let's use the supports that already exist that are in place. Technology is one part of it. Uh, social supports, whatever things we can put in there. But there's no value in answering questions that have long been answered. Like when I was younger, sure, maybe having, mm-hmm. you know, 
memorize that the Earth is 93 million miles from the sun is of some value, or or that the capital <laughs> of of Louisiana is Baton Rouge, right? Cool, but yeah. What value is that to me in some circumstance now? That's not going to solve any of the world's problems. That's mm-hmm. not going to tell us how we stop these droughts from happening in these wildfires and how we, you know, solve uh, combustible relationships between cultures. You know, it's those are problems we can try to relate to uh... and solve now that have nothing to do with that. We're in a new time, new age, fourth industrial revolution, all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, we could probably talk all day on that. <laughs> you know, I, I do a whole thing on uh, the sustainable development goals. And what I'm finding is that teachers are, still don't know what they are. Uh, I, and this idea of having kids, doesn't matter who they are, special ed, whoever, being aware of that they can make a difference if they're, if they're aware of them. So kids can collaborate. They can try new things. It's really exciting when they do that. I, and, and that's the thing. It doesn't take a whole lot. It doesn't even take a whole lot of preparation necessarily on the teacher's part because yeah. on the teacher's part, it's simply posing a big idea and allowing the space yeah. and a place for students to go ahead and find and explore. You know, yeah, push that spark in there every now and again. But uh, we, we recently here in New York City, I, I helped have a hand in leading what was our first ever massive Minecraft citywide challenge. And it was uh, Battle of the Boroughs and students from each borough, like we're on teams and competing. But the premise of it all was built around the sustainable development goals and, and these ideas of Okay, let's create a more sustainable New York City. Let's create a more accessible New York City. Let's what does accessible travel and sustainable travel in New York City look like? And these kids were doing something that they enjoy playing in Minecraft, right? But they were building these spaces and ideas and some of these concepts were brilliant and complex. I mean, at one point one of the f- final challenges for some of the competitions was build a better school. Something as simple as that. And it was amazing to see the spaces that kids built for themselves for learning. And it was not like, hey, I just want to play games all day in school. Like, it wasn't. There's, like, plants and greenery and, like, we want open windows and spaces and connections to nature. And we want, like, these are the spaces kids want. We want space to socialize and connect with others. I'm like, why are schools not built like that? Like, why have they been long built the way that they currently are? Yeah, like, I want these kids' ideas. I want to work in that school with that kid. Me too. Let's start a school. Let's have the kids design it. Seriously. And then we can, yeah. <laughs> okay, Sean, I want to keep talking, but <laughs> I have to bring this to a close. And I'm so sad because I just love everything you're talking about. Oh, it's so much fun, fun with you, Barbara. I always have fun. Every time we talk, I just, you, and then you brought up some things you didn't tell me before. So it's kind of fun, Sean. I just love it. So share with me, you know, what's next for you. And then how to get a hold of you. I want to make sure that everyone can find out what you're doing. Well, I mean, I want to help anybody if I can. Uh, how to get a hold of me. Um, I guess I'm on Twitter at Sean M. Arnold. Uh, my blog is braveinthetempt.com. Uh, and you can reach out to me there. But as for what the future holds for me, I really am not entirely sure. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that over the course of this last year and a half, especially in the midst of this pandemic, it's been it's been really difficult here in New York City, uh, District 75 especially. We I lost fellow teachers and friends and, and mm. people in my life. And there was upheaval in that regard, but there was upheaval in terms of like education and teaching and in some ways really good. Uh, and in some ways, recognitions on my part that I can't 
commit wholly to spaces where students and educators who have great ideas aren't allowed to flourish. And so at a certain point, I was leading my district's response in the pandemic because, yeah, I have, you know, that technological expertise and the connection to our students and accessibility uh, from a distance. But also just with cool ideas like those Minecraft challenges and those STEM challenges and all the things we did over the summer. And I was excited and connecting with educators and students and, and school leaders. And then in September, we were sort of redistributed in the city. And it was basically a Friday late in the evening. I think it was around 7 o'clock. I get a message that says, FYI, on Monday morning, you go to the school in Brooklyn to do something. We're not going to tell you. Here's the address. Uh, be ready for whatever. And so I do. I go to this school, PS4K in Brooklyn, way back in September. Um, gladly, the principal was wonderful. Uh, the environment with the students was great. I was able to play a, like a major role in revamping all these things in school. And I had never been part of such a positive school environment before. Like they were so appreciative, and the parents were so grateful. And to be fair, I was probably doing things I wasn't supposed to because there were points where I was going to families' homes to help with things because it needed to happen because the school got shut down and then we were remote and then they needed help with stuff. Oh. And I don't know if you're supposed to go door to door like that, but the parents needed it, so I was going to do it. And the principal was cool with it. Um, but like, wow. you know, whatever. So now it's the summer session and I'm back to being a STEM coach for the district, but there's considerations of whether. I want to go back to that school, whether I want to be a school leader somewhere, if I want to, you know, take on a different role or options that, you know, people have shared with me or, you know, where I can do the most good. And and I know that that's yeah. what I want. Like, I, the reason I became a teacher ultimately in the beginning anyway is because I want to feel like I can have a real impact and do some real good. And so where am I going to be allowed to do that? And it's work I know I can do. I just need, you know, the space and opportunity to do it. So I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to be, but I'm excited. I'm hopeful. Well, I, I see a great future for you because you have the gifts. You've already done that work like last September. This is a whole new school year that's kind of like uncertain. We don't know, especially with uh, some of the things going on right now with the pandemic. So we don't know. So you never know if, who's going to reach out to you. And so make sure you remember my audience that you remember Sean Arnold, because I'm, I am blessed to know you. And I'm also excited to know about your journey and what's going to happen next. I think I'm okay with uncertain. You know, my whole life has always been nervously anticipating everything around me. So, you know, I think I deal with uncertain uh, about as well as anybody. You sure do. And it's great. So thank you so much for being with thank me for today, Sean. Me, Barbara. I just love this. Let's just keep in touch. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and make sure that everyone checks you out. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's it's on the virtual porch, uh, you know. Yes, a virtual porch. <laughs> Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too, Barbara. This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning podcast and my conversation with Sean Arnold. Make sure you check out the blog post that goes with this podcast because it includes the show notes with links, pictures, videos, and so much more about Sean and Oh my gosh, all the creative things he shares. Ah, you have to see it. Please subscribe to my Rethinking Learning podcast. It would be awesome if you wrote a review. 
Also, I hope you subscribe to my website at barbarabray.net so you receive updates and more amazing podcasts. Thank you again for listening. Keep sharing your story. And please stay safe and be well.